Welcome to the Social Work Social Podcast. My name is Melanie Matthews, and I'm a registered social worker, as well as your host for this podcast. The Social Work Social is a place to explore the role of social workers in mental health treatment, social justice and advocacy, and other aspects of community work. But social workers rarely work in isolation, so we'll be talking not just to social workers, but other professionals and people with lived experience to learn about their understanding of mental health and mental health treatment. Before we begin today's episode, I have two disclaimers to make. First, you should be aware that all the information presented in this podcast is specific to Ontario, Canada, unless otherwise specified in the episode. Different professionals follow different rules and restrictions dictated by the regulatory body in their area. The second disclaimer is that nothing in this podcast should be considered medical advice or mental health treatment. Your mental health is unique, so what we talk about in this episode may not be quite right for supporting your mental health in the best way possible. So if you're interested in any of the topics presented here and want to know more about if the treatment options are right for you, be sure to get in contact with a professional directly. Now, let's get started on today's episode. September 10th is World Suicide Prevention Day, so this episode will focus on how we can work together to support people who may be experiencing thoughts of suicide. Naturally, there is, therefore, a trigger warning for this episode for discussions about suicide and self-harm. I'll be sharing some of my own experiences, as well as information on how to intervene if a person you know is experiencing thoughts of wanting to harm themselves, which can be uncomfortable for some people. If you are feeling upset or triggered by any of the content in this episode, please reach out to someone in your life who you trust, one of the helplines I'll be listing in the description box, or to emergency services if you feel like you can't keep yourself safe. Suicide tends to be a taboo topic for many people. There's a lot of discomfort in considering the thought of another person taking their own life, so it's perfectly natural that people would avoid speaking about suicide. However, the avoidance in talking about suicide can be really detrimental to people who might be experiencing thoughts of suicide. There's already shame and guilt in having these thoughts, which is increased when others shy away from talking openly about suicide. So, in this episode, we're going to combat some of that stigma by talking openly about suicide and how to help people who might be having thoughts of suicide. To take some responsibility myself in decreasing some of the stigma around suicide, I'm going to talk about my own experience as a therapist who has experienced thoughts of suicide and engaged in self-harming behavior as a teenager. My experiences are not something that I try to keep hidden, even in my work as a therapist. I used to think that my self-harm scars made me unprofessional in some way and wore a lot of long sleeve shirts. This was terrible when I first started my career working in elementary schools because a large part of my job was to spend time outside facilitating play activities. So doing that in warm weather while wearing a sweater was unpleasant to say the least. When I finally stopped with the constant long sleeves, I think I was expecting some sort of dramatic reaction from employers. But 11 years into working in social services, I still have yet to have a manager ever comment on my scars, let alone tell me to cover them up. Turns out I was judging myself a lot more than anyone else was judging me. The same has been true as a therapist. I don't go out of my way to cover my scars, and if any of my clients have ever noticed, they don't comment. I don't believe I've lost clients or had a client choose not to work with me because of my scars. Now this was just my experience. I work in social services and mental health treatment, which tends to be pretty understanding about self-harm. Not all industries are like that though, so just because this was my experience doesn't mean that everyone will feel comfortable being as open as I am. 
Everyone has a different comfort level, and it's important to disclose only what you're okay with. I started cutting when I was about 13 and in eighth grade. There are lots of reasons why people might self-harm, but for me, the main purpose was punishment. I am what others may refer to as a perfectionist. I felt a lot of pressure to do things perfectly and would inflict punishment on myself when I didn't meet the highest standards. Of course, this was not actually helpful in any way to my life because the standard of perfection is unrealistic regardless, and punishing myself just made me feel worse than I already did. There was a lot of shame that I felt, and I hid away the evidence of my self-harm without ever asking for help. It didn't help that another girl in my class was also engaging in self-harm at the time, but the class found out and were really cruel about it. She got a lot of accusations about being attention-seeking and overdramatic. I didn't want people to say that about me, so I didn't tell anyone, and only my closest friends found out at that time. Not everyone who engages in self-harm is also thinking about suicide, and that time, I was not. I started having thoughts of suicide in high school. There was a lot of pressure at home and at school that I felt like I couldn't keep up with. I also had a hard time managing my relationships with friends, which caused a lot of anxiety and hopelessness. In high school, I also began using drugs, which definitely did not help anything at all. I ended up going to therapy on and off for most of my adolescence and recently did about a year's worth of trauma therapy as an adult. It's been a long road, but I haven't had any thoughts of suicide for a number of years now. I may have felt really hopeless at the time, but there was definitely light at the end of the tunnel and I've been able to enjoy my life as an adult despite the challenges I faced as a teenager. So all of that said, how do we help a person who may be experiencing thoughts of suicide? There are lots of things you can do to help. Keep in mind as we go through these steps that these are general practices that can be helpful, but this episode is not mental health treatment or suicide intervention training. It's for informational purposes only. After listening to this episode, you may want to do your own research, look into mental health supports in your area, and consider getting crisis intervention training yourself. One of the biggest myths I hear is that people believe if you talk about suicide, then the person who's struggling might get the idea to consider suicide that just by mentioning suicide, you might be increasing the chances that that person might start thinking about suicide if they weren't already. This is extremely unlikely. With some exceptions, unless the person is very, very young, they've probably heard about suicide either from their friends, TV shows or movies, or on social media, so you're likely not putting the idea of suicide into their head by mentioning it to them. By asking about suicide directly, you're more likely to get an honest answer about how the person is really feeling, and you're giving signs that you're open to hearing about how they're really feeling because you asked directly. If they say yes, they are thinking about suicide, then there are a few things you can do to help. First, have empathy and compassion. Avoid making the person feel guilty about having thoughts of suicide. Phrases like, you're being selfish, or haven't you thought about how this would affect your friends and family? aren't particularly helpful. The person is likely already feeling pretty badly, so adding shame and guilt for having thoughts of suicide on top of that is only going to make them feel worse. Instead, offer support. Let them know that you're there for them and that there are people that can help. Second, listen instead of fixing. The person may tell you that there are things in their life that are causing them to have thoughts of suicide. They might talk about failing a class at school or not being able to get a job or something else that seems like a really practical problem that you can help them solve. There's a natural tendency to believe if you can just help them fix that problem, maybe their thoughts of suicide will go away. But the person's likely not in a place where they can study or work on a resume though. 
So now is not the right time for problem solving. For now, listen and opt for empathetic support. There'll be time to help them solve their practical problems later. Third, don't be afraid to ask for help. You don't have to do this on your own. Reach out to another trusted friend or family member to make them aware of what's happening and get some additional support if needed. If the person doesn't want you to tell anyone else but you still feel like you need help, you can reach out to an anonymous distress line to get support from a trained professional. Fourth, make a plan to help keep the person safe. This might involve making sure the person isn't alone while they're having thoughts of suicide and understanding what triggered their thoughts in the first place so they can be prepared to reach out for help if the thoughts happen again. You might also want to help them make an appointment with a mental health professional or their family doctor to follow up with them. There are a lot of safety plan outlines online, but this is really an individual thing. The person is more likely to follow through with a safety plan if they feel like it's right for them rather than a plan that was prescribed by the internet. If you've gone through all these steps and the person you're supporting still cannot keep themselves safe, you may have to call 911 or support the person to go to the emergency room. Keep in mind though that hospitals and emergency rooms can feel very unsafe for some people. In particular, Indigenous people, people of colour, and people who are part of the LGBTQ community often have negative relationships with the healthcare system due to systemic discrimination and racism. Someone who has had thoughts of suicide before and went to the emergency room previously may also have had a traumatizing experience while they were there. Also keep in mind that there are different policies and procedures that hospitals have to support people who are considering suicide, so you may want to look into what those policies are before going to the emergency room so that you know what to expect. In Ontario, where I am, if a person goes to the emergency room and says they're considering suicide, the hospital will hold them for up to 72 hours and provide them with a psychiatric assessment. If they do not believe the person is in immediate danger, the person will be discharged. This means that hospitals are really only helpful if the person is in immediate crisis where they are in danger of acting on their thoughts of suicide. If they are not in imminent danger, the emergency room likely won't be that helpful and may actually end up being an unpleasant experience that discourages the person from asking for help again. My personal policy as a therapist who's trained in crisis intervention is that there are only three instances where I will send a person to the emergency room. If they tell me there is absolutely nothing I can do and they will act on their thoughts of suicide, if they have already harmed themselves and require medical attention for their physical health, or if they ask me to go to the hospital. If the person is not in immediate danger, you're better off looking for community mental health treatment options, supporting them to attend walking counseling, or contacting their therapist if they already have one, or encouraging them to contact their family doctor for a referral to a psychiatrist. While there may be a delay in the person accessing these supports, it will be more helpful for longer term recovery. Keep in mind to also look into more specialized supports or community-based supports that are specific for people who are in more vulnerable communities, such as Indigenous people, people of color, and people in the LGBTQ community. Finally, make sure that you take care of yourself. Hearing that someone you care about has been considering suicide can be stressful and upsetting. Take some time after the crisis is over to take care of yourself and maybe even reach out for some mental health support yourself. If you want to feel more prepared to help a person who might be thinking about suicide, there are classes you can take to prepare yourself. Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training, or ASSIST, Mental Health First Aid, and Safe Talk all have information about what steps you can take to intervene in a crisis. Personally, I've taken ASSIST training and found it to be very clear and practical. 
I use the steps taught and assist in my own practice and have had really positive results, so I would recommend that training in particular. If you're looking for resources, I've linked some in the description box. A lot of distress lines are either geographic location specific or specific for groups of people. If you're looking for help online, using some keywords instead of just a generic search for suicide distress lines might help you find what you're looking for. I'm going to talk about a couple of really specific ones because we know that there are some groups who tend to experience thoughts of suicide and self-harm more than others. I'm not going to go into the statistics in this episode. I considered it because I think it's important to understand that different groups of people experience thoughts of suicide differently. However, I have been absolutely inundated with statistics and facts all over social media since September 1st. So I know these facts are available and I wanted this episode to be more focused on supporting people who are having thoughts of suicide. So instead of throwing statistics at you, here are just a couple of specific resources that might be helpful for some of those more vulnerable groups. If you're looking for support as a youth anywhere in Canada, you can call Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868, or you can text 686868. Between 7 p.m. and midnight Eastern Standard Time, you can also access online chat by going to kidshelpphone.ca. You can call Kids Help Phone if you're having thoughts of suicide, or if you need help supporting someone else. A trained counselor can help talk you through the steps of what to do to help someone else who's in crisis. Trans Lifeline is run by and for trans people. Their distress line number is 1-877-330-6366. And their website, translifeline.org, has a number of other resources for trans people. For Indigenous people, there are two services that have been made available by the Government of Canada. The Hope for Wellness support line is available to all Indigenous people across Canada in need of crisis services. The number is 1-855-242-3310, and there's also an online chat service on their website. The National Indian Residential School Crisis Line has been set up to provide support for former residential school students. You can access emotional and crisis referral services by calling their 24-hour National Crisis Line, one 866 925-4419. That being said, there are many Indigenous people who may not want to use government supports due to a very justified lack of trust in the government. If that's the case, contacting your local friendship center or an Indigenous-run service in your area to be linked to more appropriate resources may be helpful. I hope that this episode helps to challenge some of the stigma around self-harm and suicide, as well as provides some insight around how to help a person who's struggling. I also hope that by sharing my own story, others will feel less alone in the pain they're feeling now. Remember that suicide is preventable. There are ways to help and support people who are experiencing thoughts of suicide. No situation is hopeless. Thanks for listening to the Social Work Social podcast. By sharing information and stories, we hope that you will gain new knowledge and empathy for those who are different from you. We all have unique experiences with mental health based on our backgrounds, experiences, and how we're impacted by the society we live in. What unites us is that we are all deserving of mental health support that is appropriate for our circumstances, accessible, and feels good. Tune in next Friday for another episode.